All right, I'm very glad to be here this morning. Um, I remember, I don't know how long ago it was that uh, we heard that this work was going to be uh, starting up, and uh, we all, you know, for, for that long period of time, we've always wanted to come out here, and I'm thankful and grateful for the opportunity to speak before you guys. It's, it's truly an honor, and I'm humbled to see so many um, familiar faces and some new faces, um, people that me and my wife and our family love dearly, and uh, uh, kind of an honor to be among you guys this morning. My lesson this morning is really going to piggyback off the, uh, the event that was uh, held yesterday that um, you guys held. Um, when, I, when I saw, the, I had something else in mind uh, when, I, when I, Josh had initially asked me to speak, and then I saw the flyer at the building, in our building, a couple of weeks ago, and I was just intrigued by the questions. Um, I love those questions because those are great questions that we need to be thinking about, especially those people who are out there in the world need to be thinking about them. And we need to be thinking about them as well as Christians. So I'm going to ask the same questions um, that were asked yesterday. And I'm going to answer them from the perspective of the cross. And I hope I don't reiterate uh, the whole thing that Josh did yesterday. Uh, that was one of my fears, but hopefully... Um, uh, we can glean something from maybe a different perspective. Um, because we need to be reminded about God's love for his people. Um, and God's love for everybody. All of his creation. And we need to understand that you know, we, we shouldn't be discouraged in this world. And we, we have a father that loves us and cares about us. Despite some of the doubts we may have. So the first question was, if God is love, then why, why is he so far away? You know, why does he seem so far away? And the, 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 the scriptures testify that God is close to us. I mean, he's not far away. And we kind of talked about it in the lesson this morning. Now, we need to be looking for him. He has made um, his mark in this world. And so he's not far away. Psalm 145 speaks to the Lord being near to those who have a broken heart. It says, beginning in verse 15 of Psalm 145, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. And So we can already see that there's some um, responsibility on our part in order to be close to God. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 5 uh, um, talks a little bit about um, this idea that while God may seem far away, um, He's still mindful of us, right? It says, O Lord, O Lord, uh, our Lord, how excellent is the name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And so this idea, this, the, the, the writer here is saying, you know, you've done all these great things. You know, look at, the, look at the, star, the stars in the heavens, how massive and how expansive they are. But yet and still God sees us, sees his creation. As small as we are in this universe, God is mindful of us. He cares about us. He understands us. And I've made the, 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 the notion, I've made the, the, the um, statement and the suggestion that the Bible is a love story. 
And when you boil it, it's a love story between the master, the creator, and his creation. And we just need to be looking for him. And if it's indeed a love story between God and his creation, why wouldn't God want to be close to his creation? In fact, he does want to be close to us. Matthew 18 um, talks about this provision that God has made to be in our midst. It says um, um, in verse 20 of Matthew 18, For where there are two or three gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. And so we, we hear the qualifier there that if they're in his name, God will be with us. God is with us. God is with us this morning, in fact. John 14 and, and verse 15 talks about another provision that, that God makes for us, and the contingency is that we have a relationship with him. In John 14, verse, uh, 14 verses 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit is truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Again, we see that contingent situation there that uh, we keep his commandments um, and that he abides with us because we know him. We know God and we have that relationship. And finally, in Acts 17, this great um, sermon, if you will, that Paul uh, um, preaches in, in Mar on Mars Hill when he's addressing the Areopagus. Uh, and, and I think um, Richard kind of alluded to this morning, uh, beginning in verse 24. It says, he says, God has, who has made the world and everything in it, um, in it is the Lord of the heaven and earth and does not live in temples uh, built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he's needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did so that, he would seek, that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so again, this contingent situation that you know, God has, has set his evidence in this world for us to see, to find. And he wants us to reach out for him. He wants us to, to seek him. And to know and understand that he's not far from us. And finally, God himself. You know, we, thought, we think about the things uh, that, that are manifested in this world that testify of God. But God himself came and lived with us. Lived with, lived with us. And dwelt with us on earth. Uh, John 1.10, in talking about the, the true light, he said, He was in the world and, he, and the world he made was through him and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and he did not receive, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in verse 14, the famous verse, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so God himself was here with us. Here with us to, to show um, his love for us. And to, to, to let us understand that he, is, he cares for us and that he, he, um, and he loves us. You know, I think about um, all these, these movies that we watch and, you know, I'm reminded that one of the 
the movies I saw over the, over the break was um, Interstellar. And I think about, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but you see any kind of space movie you see, you see this far distance, this interstellar galaxy that's traveling out into the, to the masses of, of, of the universe. And in this movie, they go through a wormhole to another galaxy, and they're two galaxies away from the Earth. And you think about the massive expanses of the universe and the galaxies and how great and grand it is. And we kind of alluded to it in, 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 the, in the psalm there, in 8. And you think about how, 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 how big it is. And then you think about how great God is. And that we don't have to travel those distances to be close to God. We don't have to travel light years to be close to God. Romans 1 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. We understand that God is close to us by the things around us and by his word that testifies that God is near us. And so looking at the cross, we know God is not far off at all. The the cross is really the crossroads between God and man, if you think about it. And it's where man was able to become close to God. When you think about the event of the cross and when, especially when the veil and the temple was torn in two. It was really God saying, now I'm opening access to man, to me. No longer can only one man once a year go in the holy of holiest places and be in the presence of God. I'm allowing all mankind to have access to me. And it allows us to approach God in a bold fashion, in a bold manner. And we can ask him as a man to a man, face to face, ask him, commune with him, talk to him, pray to him, thank him for what he's done for us. Personally thank God for what he's done in our lives. And that all was made possible through the cross. We are all priests, those who have named Christ and who have been, have met, have been their, their sins remitted. We're all priests. And so we have the same access um, that those in the past have had. The second question is, was yesterday, if God is love, then why does he punish? And that's an interesting question. Um, but I'm going to suggest that there's a difference between punishment and discipline. When I think about discipline, I think about, you know, the things that happen to us when we sin in our lives. The consequences that, that happen. And when, when we think about discipline, we think about what happens to us because of the sin that we've done uh, and the things that we've done. And God calls that a chastening. And, and, and that's, that's God disciplining us um, so that hopefully one day we will learn from those, those mistakes and one day we will self-discipline ourselves. And so when I think about discipline, not only do I think about discipline my kids, but I think about the mistakes that we make and, and understanding the consequences and, 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 those, and those mistakes and consequences driving us to do the right thing in, in the future. When I think about punishment in terms of spiritual, I think of that more of what we receive after the final judgment. And I'll, and I'll point out a couple of scriptures here that kind of back that up. In Revelation 3 verses 19 it's the famous uh, chapter of the two chapters about the uh, seven uh, churches in Asia. Um, 
that the Lord talks about. And the Laodicean church is the lukewarm church that's talked about in verse 19. And it talks about them wanting, needing to be zealous and needing them to repent. And he says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And so that's more of the, the chastening, the discipline um, that God is, 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 is wanting them to go through. So that they may change, that they may repent, so they have another chance before the final judgment, if you will. Before the, the punishment, if you will. In the verses that were read for the scripture reading, uh, uh, Hebrews 10, 26, I, I see that more as the punishment. It says in verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. A fiery indignation which would devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Going down to verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so that more speaks to the final judgment. This idea that there is a final punishment for those who have in this verse trampled the foot, the son of God underfoot. Counted the blood of the covenant a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. And so we think about God being of love. Why does he punish? And as we look at the cross in particular and we think about punishment. When we look at the cross, God did punish. He just did not punish us. Isaiah 53, 7 talks about in that great chapter of the suffering servant, speaking of Jesus and his suffering on the cross, he says, it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears, so he opened his, not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare this, uh, his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor deceit was in his mouth. And so you read about all this calamity and all this grief and all this death surrounding the suffering servant. Yet in verse 10, it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And so you might ask the question, what, you know, why would that be? Why would it please the Lord to bruise his servant, his son. When we look at that word bruise, we, we get the idea, we get the, the same type of ideas of the crush, to shatter, to break, to be broken. Why would it please the Lord to break his son? His perfect body was abused, beaten. He was led to the, to, to the slaughter. We think about the lamb led to the slaughter and no, nothing in, in, his, in his mouth was, was vile. But he was led to be slaughtered. And he was beaten, he was spat upon, he was scourged. Because Jesus' punishment was for us. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death and the punishment of death is required for sin. So why did he punish Jesus? He punished Jesus to bring us to him. 
First Peter three eighteen says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God." And so, so God does punish, and He punished His Son on our behalf. The third question uh, that was brought up yesterday is, if God is love, then why doesn't He show it? If God is love, why doesn't He show love? John fifteen thirteen plainly states, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. But we know that Jesus did more than that, right? I mean, we know that Jesus laid down his life for his friends, his disciples. We talked about this this morning. Uh, for his, his, his close friends. But he laid down his life for his enemies also. And we think about the state that we were in before Jesus' sacrifice, it was a helpless, it was a helpless state. And God reached out to us, right? We had nothing, we had, there was nothing that we could have done that would have remedied our situation. But God reached out to us. And what's interesting about this idea of this sacrifice of God, it's kind of a, a quandary, if you will. I mean, you think about the kidnapping, ransom situation in our world. You know, you have someone that kidnaps somebody, right? And they go to somebody else and say, you know, I, I demand a ransom for this person to set them free, right? We all understand that's kind of how it works in this world in, the, in those situations. But in this situation, it doesn't make sense. Satan took us captive he kidnapped us god demanded the ransom and he paid the ransom that's the kind of love that god has it makes no sense to us what god did for us i mean it doesn't make sense in our world what god did other than he loves us he he really cares about us he really loves us Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we look at the cross and we, look at the, and we think about the love that, that, that God had for us, we understand that Christ's body was perfect, and that was necessary for this sacrifice. He was tempted in all points as, as we are. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was that propitiation that Robin talked about. He is that appeasement that Robin talked about. And we needed a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. He was without spot and, bl and blemish, and he was the price that, we needed, that was needed to be paid. John, uh, 1 John 3 says, that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there was no sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15 says that he can sympathize with our weakness, tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so we understand that if God, if Jesus ever have sinned even once, 
he could not have been that acceptable sacrifice that God needed, that we needed. He couldn't have been that propitiation. He couldn't have been that appeasement. He could not have been the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But thanks be to God that we, do, we did have that perfect, unblemished sacrifice to atone for our sins. And so you might ask the question, you know, how does that display the love that God has for us? Well, you know, Jesus preserved himself throughout his life. He willfully was pure in his life. Always thinking about this event that was going to have to happen. Always thinking about you and I. Always thinking about mankind. Always thinking about this, this thing that he had to go through. And that he was going to please his father and be glorified because of this event. When we look at the cross and we think about love, the love of God, we, think of, we see Jesus' perfect body, but we see that it was abused. We spoke a little bit about that earlier. That it was abused and severely beaten. We, we talked about uh, Isaiah 53 in that manner. And how he was led like a lamb led to the slaughter. And when we think about the abuse that, that Jesus went through, it kind of came in two different forms. It came in the scourging and ultimately the crucifixion. First, the, the, the scourging came out um, first with the religious leaders of that time. They had their way with him at first. In Matthew 26, 67, it says, They spat in his face and they beat him and they struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy us to Christ, who is the one that struck you? And so the religious leaders here are having their way with him, hitting him, hitting him around striking him. In Luke twenty two sixty three, 63, it said they smote him. And this idea of being smoted really is the idea of the flaying of flesh. You think about that, the flaying of skin. In, in John um, 19, it simply says very briefly, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And we kind of read past that, you know, it's, it's one word description. They scourged him. But the scourging was a, a deadly event. And I'll just read a little bit about what we can glean from, from history of what a scourging really, what, what really took place in a scourging. The usual instrument was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs on variable lengths in which Small iron balls and sharp pieces of sheep bones were tied at intervals. So get that idea. So Jesus was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post and his back and lower body were flogged either by two soldiers or by one at alternating positions. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck Jesus' back with full force, the iron balls caused deep cutting wounds and the leather thongs and sheep bones ripped into his skin. And the flogging, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into his underlying skeletal muscles and produce ribbons of bleeding flesh. The severe scourging with this intense pain and blood loss most probably left Jesus in a pre-shocked state. The physical and mental abuse meted out by the Jews and the Romans, as well as the lack of food, water, and sleep, also contributed to his weakened state. Therefore, even before the actual crucifixion, Jesus' physical condition was at least serious and possibly critical. And so we understand this idea of scourging the, the, the abuse, and we, and, we, and we see the abuse that Jesus took. 
And we understand that he did all this for us. And that's not even to mention the torturous event of the crucifixion itself. Being nailed um, to, a, to a cross, hands and feet, hanging and gasping for breath for hours upon hours, being mocked, being criticized, being laughed at, spit at. Isaiah 52, 14, I think says it all. It says, many were astonished at thee. His vision, his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. Speaking of his appearance. It was a brutal death. And so you might ask the question, why? Why did Christ have to suffer such a brutal and torturous treatment? Christ could have died in any number of ways. To be sacrificed for us? Why with such astounding brutality? Number one, I think it's God's way of showing how ugly and repulsive our sin is. And how it manifests in our life. Secondly, I think that the death was meant to be a shocking event, right? God had a message. He did not want us to forget what Jesus did for us. And I think the third thing is that it shows that God loves us and that Jesus loves us. That he would be willing. He knew what crucifixion was. He knew what manner of death that he was going to have to go through. Yet still he went through it. He endured this because he loves us and he loves his father. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And so the question is, how do you kill the Son of God? And the answer is, he lets you do it. Jesus allowed himself to go through this. And it's because he loves us. Finally, looking at the cross and we think about love, we see that there's power in this blood. It wasn't the mere fact, you know, that blood was spilt. It's the fact that there is power in this blood. There's power in the blood that God, that, that Jesus spilled. Because Jesus' blood is not a common blood. It is the blood of the perfect sacrifice. It has power to justify us. It has power to cleanse us. And it, is, it has power to allow us to be close to God. And man's been trying all these years to try to Find out how they can be made righteous in God's sight. You know, different religions, they, they're doing all kinds of things to try to figure out how can I be righteous before God. But it was all made possible in this one event. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And so we're not just made right before God, we're justified. We've been justified. We stand before the judge. We will be able to stand before the judge in judgment and be justified to stand there. Despite the sins that we've committed in our lives, we will be justified, rightly justified to stand before the judge and be counted worthy to be in his presence. And it's only made, because, made possible because of the death of God. It also has cleansing power. 
able to cleanse our conscience unto obedience. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so the knowledge of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, the knowledge of what Jesus did for us as we look back at the cross, cleanses our conscience and causes us and, and drives us to be obedient to God. Cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And of course it cleanses our sins. Hebrews 4.10 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. And so there was power in that, in that blood. And there's power also in, in reconciliation. This closeness that we talked about between us and God. The blood of Christ has the power to reconcile man and God. And so we are able to go to him, God, in boldness to his throne. We're able to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. Not like the old law where one man once a year could go and be with God. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which we were consecrated, for he was consecrated for us. Verse 22, Let us draw near with a, pure, a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled with, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so the death of Jesus cleanses us and gives us the power of recon reconciliation. And so that's the love of God. He's it, shown it through his, through his Son. So that's my lesson. Hopefully this has been a reminder to us uh, about how God really cares about us and how, that, how, how he is close to us um, and how he deals with sin and how he did punish for sin and how we have an opportunity um, to glory with him one day. He disciplines, uh, he's close to us and he loves us and he's proven it in the cross. I hope we can think about that throughout this uh, day and, and meditate on that, those thoughts. I don't know if there's anybody here who's not a Christian, um, but hopefully this lesson has told you how much God loves you and the things that he's, he's gone through to prove himself, to testify of his love for us, uh, to underline his desire to want to have a relationship with you. I hope, I hope, I hope that the lesson's done that. And if, you're, if you are a Christian and, you're, and something is keeping you away, Hopefully this lesson has, has proven to be an encouragement um, to bring you back to Christ. If anybody needs to respond, we'll sing the song of invitation.